Welcome to Whole Lot of Wolves, episode 14 of season four. We're your hosts. I'm Joshua Buckley. I'm Paul LePage. Joining us from New York City, our fabulous producer, Mr. Alex Patakis. How's it going, Alex? Can't really be doing much better, honestly. How are you yeah. guys? Well, not bad. And our social media extraordinaire, Mr. Danny Paletti from Baltimore. Danny, uh, how many beers did you end up getting, uh, or how many drinks total did you end up getting in on Saturday? I think it was six uh, by the time I was having a, an old gold rush. And I, I guess I'm still having, you know, going through the celebrations because I've got a hot toddy going on right now. So I'm, Ooh, nice. I'm with you on the whiskey tonight. Yeah, I, I got my typical uh, pint glass with uh, half whiskey. <laughs> So we're good to go. We're here to talk about one of the most amazing games that we've seen. Did you know, guys, that no team has been behind in a Premier League match as long as Wolves were on Saturday and ended up winning the game? In fact, there are only eight teams ever to be trailing after 90 minutes in an EPL game and winning. Funny enough, Spurs were involved in four of those games. <laughs> so, Paul... Uh, really just an unbelievable game, and it looked a little dicey early, didn't it? It just had that vibe of getting up early, put the coffee on, get the sleep out of your eyes, sit down, and bang, there goes that early goal. And it was just, oh, here we go again. And you were just on tent hooks waiting for that second one to go in, and it was just that unnerving feeling that whilst we were looking okay, it just felt nervous that every time they attack, they might penetrate. Yeah, Danny, I was a little surprised with how slow they came out. Yeah, I feel like that early goal really looked like the cliched players who hadn't woken up yet. Because, I mean, I don't know, the, the major malfunction was just Aitnori and Gomez not communicating about uh, following that runner. So, uh, you know frustrating it, it was definitely like paul said right at the beginning uh you know just having gotten my coffee and uh literally my partner had just gotten down the stairs and i turned around and said well we've conceded <laughs> and i think she seriously thought about going back to bed at that point alex did you worry at that point uh yes <laughs> uh i was more than worried um especially because the minutes following I felt like uh, weren't necessarily that inspiring. I I was, I was worried it would just end that way. You know, like I, I knew Spurs were going to be tired. I knew they were shorthanded. I thought them getting an early goal would mean that they would just shut it down. And uh, you know, that, that would be that. So uh, I was, I was very fearful for 90 something minutes. It is, it is interesting. And, you know, Spurs fans gave the team a standing ovation when they lost uh, 4-1 to Chelsea because they kept going for the game. You know, they, they, they're not really one to turtle up or anything. Um, but I almost feel like, Paul, maybe they should have in this game with the early lead because Wolves kind of started to settle into the game and it felt good, even though, again, we couldn't find that final third shot. It was. It was all of the parts of the team came together pretty well and I think we mentioned in the preview show that midfield battle was going to be crucial and we, we're starting to take control in the middle of the park 
defensively, we looked solid. Again, it was one of those games where, apart from one save, Jose Sarr wasn't put under a tremendous amount of pressure, really, which when you're playing against the uh, second in the league or vying for the league lead, it's that's pretty, pretty good going. I think there's some um, notable honourable mentions we'll probably talk about later on, but I think one of them was... Craig Dawson having that specific mission of just going after Son again, like he did with Haaland, that when they those teams play with that central striker, that dominant number nine in effect, they're just sticking Dawson on him and saying, go and mark him out the game. And he, he pretty much did that. And he certainly knew who, who he was up against. Yeah, really another impressive performance from him. Um, how do you think the lineup was flowing, Danny, with uh, Bellegarde back in? Um, I mean, it it seems it, it's funny. Every time we predict the the lineup and, and get it right, I'm always a little nervous because I feel like those are the games that we don't start out well. It's like it's so weird because it feels like the consensus online sort of solidifies with like this lineup and then Gary O'Neill picks it. And there's like a period up until kickoff where we're like, yes, everything is what we expect. And then we always end up starting slow whenever that happens. Uh, uh, Same thing against Bournemouth. I feel like that was a lineup that we all sort of predicted and then it just didn't work out. Yeah. I don't know. Once, once we got going after that initial sort of 15 minutes where we're asleep, it it did look like Bellegarde was the obvious choice to come in for Neto, especially against a team that had uh, so many absences in the back line uh, and even in midfield. Um, but still, I don't know. There There's something that we don't, unsurprisingly, we don't get from anybody who's not our best player, Pedro Neto. We just like, I don't know if it was, we just didn't have the width or what, but um we just, I didn't feel like we were making them have to work that hard to to limit our shots, which we were kind of doing ourselves. I think big thing for me when it comes to those opportunities and what was happening was decision making. And there were two or three times where it was either uh, a shot or an incorrect pass when there were at least two or three players that could have had a better ball played to them. So it just makes you wonder if that clicks on the games and actually find those passes like Bellegarde early in the second half when he went through and and he shot where Cunha was wide open. I think someone else was wide open as well that he could have played them in. And then I think the roles reversed as well for another occasion when it was Cunha. Again, it's those fine margins. If they're able to pick a pass, then it, it, it works out so much better. And I think what was frustrating for me, out of everything when it came to decision-making, it probably doesn't get lumped in with it, but I just thought the corner-taking and the set-pieces in general were abysmal. Oh, and con- so Considering the, the amount of opportunity we have, and I know you can talk till the the cows come home about, well, you don't really get many goals from corners, actually. But when you do have that amount of chances against the top team, with big guys like Dawson, Kilman, Toti, Lamina scored the other week from a corner, at least make, put like turn the pressure up a little, force the keeper into a few saves when you've got that many crosses coming in, if they ever beat the first man. I, I would even venture to say that might be the area of the game that we've most missed 
Pedro Neto is on free kicks because they've all been bad. I mean, even just, you know, regular free kicks, not even corners, uh, Alex, have been kind of tough, haven't they? Yeah, and that game in particular, I think there was one good one that Belgard mm-hmm. put in from, like, the left side um, that I, I'm trying to remember. I think it was somebody just missed a header. I know that there was one uh, that was too tall. Well, Lamina came close on, on one of those shots. Yeah, but uh, but on the corners in particular, um, almost none of them cleared like the front post, which was just terrible. Like again, it's it is a low percentage play, but it's lower when <laughs> there's not a single person in a gold jersey uh around the ball. Um so that that was that was really frustrating. Um and then there was a period where I think eight Nori maybe took one um after Bellegarde had failed on a couple of those. So they they just don't have somebody, you know? Like they they really don't. I think the only other person that I would say is probably a decent free kick and corner taker is a player that barely plays, even though he saved the game and that's Sarabia. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's weird, you know, like it's, it, I would guess that there's a lot of premier league teams that have like four or five deep uh, that, that could go, that could put in a decent ball, like most of the time, <laughs> but uh, wolves don't seem to have that. Paul, it really felt, though, even though Wolves were behind, especially in that second half, Lamina and Jao Gomez were really dominating and just looking really strong all throughout the game. In fact, uh, these were some of Lamina's stats here. Let me pull them up. He finished with 88% pass accuracy, 55 touches, 36 of 41 passes completed, 10 ball recoveries, 7 of 9 ground duel one ground duels one. Four of five long balls completed. Three of three tackles one. Two of two dribbles. I mean, that's really impressive there from what you're wanting from your defensive mid. And he's on the uh, precipice of a booking as well. So to do all mm-hmm. of that and, and keep his nose clean, I thought was phenomenal. But just the engine on the guy is immense. And not just central midfield and not just defensive. We'll talk about his goal, but... He had our best opportunity in the first half as well. So that's your centre midfielder, one of your enforcers breaking for breaking through and, and, and making the goalkeeper work. So the guy just had everything on display on Saturday. Yeah, it, it was really awesome to, to watch him work. I think even if he hadn't come through with the big goal, Danny, you could have made the argument that he was man of the match. Yeah, probably. I think he'd be, you know, it, we'd be talking about him sharing it with like uh, Sarabia, obviously for for the goal, or Joe Gomez for a similarly solid display. But but I mean, he was the standout even before the goal. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex, do you think there was some added pressure on Huang with all the media attention because he missed a really a sitter that he normally puts away? Yeah. Um... I think there could be something to that. You know, it was clearly like an all in on the Korean market game. Uh, Hoang was on the, uh, the cover. By the way, I would, I will. I told y'all. <laughs> Continue. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, he, it's, I, I guess it's, be, he had a better performance than the other Korean that was heavily marketed going into this game and his teammate and in son who was, who was basically absent. But that, that is just like, to me, 
that for better or worse, that's the quintessential Huang chance. Like doesn't necessarily do much to be in the right position. Ball just happens to fall to him. Like he scores a lot of those goals, you know, (laughs) and that's, that's when he puts away, like, especially this season, since he's so informed that he's been putting away, um, maybe just over, you know, thought about it a little too much. Uh, I think given, uh, you know, given the scenario and, and, and kind of how much of a important game this was for him. And I imagine there's a, a way bigger audience than there usually is for him, you know? Um, so yeah, it was, that was tough to see. Cause at that point it kind of felt like that was the only way back into the game. And when he missed that, it was just like, ah, that's probably not going to get another chance that good. It, it might have something to do with that particular opportunity that falls to him where that's happened twice now because it was similar against Bournemouth. I think when the goalie parried it out and he, it's like he's in that position, but he had time and he had time on Saturday and he had time against Bournemouth, whereas his other goals just seem a little more instinctive. So it's like if he has too much time, does that, is he thinking about it too much? And that's what puts him off and, Ultimately, he doesn't convert the chance. I'm not sure. Whereas, if it if he's in the thick of it and it's happening in quick time and he gets in the right position and it's instant, he's a lot more quick thinking and it happens when it could be that situation. There's there's that time pressure puts himself under pressure and ends up fluffing it. Maybe that fats into a little. Maybe that just shows the, you know, the the elite level versus the level he's at that. Uh, you know, a Haaland had put that one away. Whereas if Wang did, he'd be on like eight goals now, chasing <laughs> 10 double figures already. Right. So is that what we, we we expect from him, you know? So, yeah, I mean, they, uh, the Guardian had a great article leading up to the week saying uh, it was probably going to be the most watched game. Um, you know, they were expecting millions watching out there. And it was cool hearing all the different things that were going on uh, with former Korean players, current Korean players. And then on match day too, you saw a lot of people that had dual scars with like wolves and spurs. I always think that's, that's pretty cool to see. Um, Even though I know not everybody likes that. They won't just pick a team, but in a case like that, I think it was pretty cool. That's got to be the one time where you're allowed to have a half and half scarf. I know they're not very fashionable, but if you're a Korean fan, especially if you traveled all the way from South Korea, I think you could be allowed to get a half and half scarf on that day. Yeah, yeah, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. I will say I have seen in a very surprising thing, some half and half U.S. and Mexico ones down in Houston. Yeah, very surprising. And I actually (laughs) saw it at a Mexico game. Um, it was Gold Cup semifinals. U.S. was playing the first game, Mexico the second game. Uh, it was a young girl. I actually thought that was pretty cool. Uh, and there were a couple people that were both. So uh, but very rare. I saw Danny's face like, what? Yeah, I'm not lying. <laughs> strike me down if I'm lying. Um, <laughs> so it looked like even though we had a lot of success in that game, wasn't going to go our way. At some point, you're expecting just Spurs to bottle up. Um, O'Neal made a couple of subs. He brought on Doyle for Aitnery, which that made a lot of sense. Uh, and then he brought on Sarabia for Gomez. And I can't necessarily say that all of us looked at that and were like, oh, this is a good sub. Paul, I mean, what'd you think at the time? 
at the precise time I was looking at a bench, I was thinking, oh, if only we had some creativity in moments like this, just for that player to come on that could impact a game like we've we've had in the past, or like a, a Neto to come on that you you genuinely expected something exciting from. It was the the total opposite of what I was thinking to see what he eventually came up with. I mean, obviously, Alex, it looked like that's got to be a candidate for for goal of the year. Not just how special it was, but the fact that where it came in the game, who it was against and everything. How much credit does he deserve that this dude hasn't really gotten much playing time and he came in and could make that much of an impact? I mean, that is a world-class touch. Yeah, a, a ton because um, that that let alone that being like a ridiculously difficult thing to do, it it's got to be even harder when you're almost getting no minutes uh, in in live action. It looked like a training ground goal that we watch mm-hmm. during the international break when you're starving for some content. And you watch the 14 minutes of them just shooting at the net and like Tom King like diving for no reason. You know, it's that's what it looked like. Um, so I think he deserves a ton of credit for, you know, and, and he was interviewed after the game and said, you know, like, yeah, obviously I would like to be playing more, but, you know, I was happy to have this chance and um, to to make of it what he did. Uh, he deserves a, a, a ton of credit. So um, my question to you guys was Cunha aiming for Sarabia? Because I could argue that I think he was just trying to cross the ball to Sasha, but he hit it with the outside of his right boot on the left side. And I think it just may have just not had enough to get to the big man. And Sarabia was in the right place in the right time. But I don't want to discredit even... a beautiful pass like that. Um, but it's it's something that crossed my mind. I didn't even consider that. that That's interesting. I'd 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 given the benefit of the doubt to say that that was probably the initial pass, just with the potential that maybe Sarabia could craft something from when he received it, never expecting that he'd do that with the ball. So yeah. benefit of the doubt from me. Yeah. I think well, that was uh, my favorite part of that goal was Cunha's reaction afterwards. Like, what did I just see? Yeah. One of my favorite parts was how quick it was and that you could argue that had Gary O'Neill not uh, retrieved the ball on the sideline so quickly to force Wolves to throw it in as quick as they did, that it might not have panned out that way. <laughs> so even O'Neill gets like the hockey assist. But we're, we're, we're mentioning the other week how bad we are at throws as well. So to have it come from down down that type of play with O'Neill instrumental with starting the move as well. It's just perfect. It's crazy. So after that, it got a little hairy. I'm not going to lie. You guys maybe feel the same way. I thought Spurs were going to take the lead. I mean, they were kind of pelting it. And in fact, there, when the ball got around midfield, I was just going, blow the whistle. Blow the whistle in the game. How about you, Paul? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd have taken a point before the game and I think on the balance of it up to that point as well, I'd have been really happy actually to have them battle throughout the course of that game after conceding so early and to, to get a point from a good opponent, um, not have the heads drop and keep on at it to, to get something from it would have been great. But so I, w- I was really nervous at the time. 
Danny, would a point have been good for you? Oh, I definitely would have taken a point. I was I was a little more optimistic that we could get all three. I wasn't expecting it would happen, but uh, you know, it just it had that weird sense of inevitability, especially having lost last week against Sheffield. It just seemed written in the stars that something crazy would happen. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I didn't see where the goal was going to come unless Sarabia was going to do the exact same thing again. So I wasn't I wasn't expecting Lamina, who had been running for ninety five minutes, to still be able to break into the box. <laughs> Alex, did you think Spurs were going to take the lead there with? the assaults they were leading late. Yeah, I, I think there was actually the, the instance where Kulusevsky got the ball and Dawson was basically like in a pretzel, uh, look a slow pretzel uh, at that um, look, you know, look in his age. I thought that there's going to be wh- whether, you know, the Lachelso shot was also really good uh, on target. Saw made a really good save, but it just kind of felt like, Everyone's so gassed, and if this ball just falls to the feet of Hyunmin Sung, he's gonna bury it, and it's gonna be his day, and he'll be like the her hero on the Korean day. I was just waiting for that, like him to have ninety six minutes of being absent and then scoring the winner, because that that's what great players do a lot of the times, you know. Um, so I definitely thought that that was more likely. In fact, I would have, you know, when Lamina drew that foul, I was kind of just relieved and thought. All right, we got a point. Like I yep, wasn't blow the whistle, push, push. But I, I never, never did. I think that you know, um, there would be one more chance in it for Wolves. It felt like all the chances were going to be on their end, and that that would be just the finish line that we slowly limp to. Paul, we've been shitting on the officials, rightfully so. Um, that was a well officiated game. I think the only thing I would really complain about is they could have given some yellows early to Spurs for simulation. Um, especially on injuries. But overall, I can't think of a lot of referees that would have, after Lamina was fouled there at midfield, let not only that game go on, but essentially play advantage. I mean, they were able to get a quick kit, and good for Lamina. He hopped up real quick and started to make a run. Yeah, quick thinking all around. Um, props to the ref for allowing it as well. I think you're dead right on that. Um, but it is nice just to put a bow on all of that to have a game that we're not talking about the officials or technology. This is what it's all about. We should be talking about these special goals and last minute winners in deep, darkest injury time, not about some klutz who messes it all up or some guy who screws up the lines on a piece of cute like piece of software it's like football <laughs> and this is the passion you know so thank the lord that we got something positive to talk about what was your reaction to the goal what i was i'm in paul's house what did you do uh i, I was stood up it was still still pretty early so i wasn't making noise but i was gyrating gyrating <laughs> Okay, show that. me I'll your leave. gyrating and I will describe it Silent. to the listeners. Silent gyration. Oh, also like a swing. Okay. Yeah. So we got we got an old school swing. Nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> How about you, Alex? Uh I was I I'm lucky enough to have a friend who lives across the street in the building across the street from me who grew up in Wolverhampton. So uh we're usually together, uh, whether it's at McHale's or 
uh, even at a local bar. But because it was so early, we were I was at his place. Uh, also, again, very early, although not as early on the East Coast. So a muted let's effing go and like a jumping hug between the two of us was what happened. Uh, and then a few more like, you know, just like, did that really happen? And like pounding your chest a little bit, you know, <laughs> all the all the things when the vibes are flowing like that. It was uh, uh, that was that was great. And and I looked at him uh, right before that uh, when Sarabia scored. And I said, if they somehow win, you know what we have to do, right? And he's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, go change and go to the pub. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and that's and that's exactly what we ended up doing. Nice. <laughs> Just going Danny, uh, and watching the United game uh, yeah. against Luton with celebratory shots. Uh, great, great. Danny, what was your reaction? It's weird. I don't even really remember. Something <laughs> took over me. And I, I remember I... Uh, you know, I stood up and probably gave a let's effing go. <laughs> and I remember uh, being surprised that my roommate's cat, who was asleep on the couch near me, uh, did not get up, even though it seemed extremely loud <laughs> in that moment. Uh, yeah, and then, you know, quickly making plans to uh, head head to the bar. So my luckily, my dad was up. I was at his house and, and his wife was up and everything. And when it happened, I just jumped up and ran into their sunroom and ran all around. <laughs> They're like, what just happened? And guys, I was shaking. I was really shaking afterwards and just had like hand on the head. Like, what did I just see? I mean, it was a good finish from Lamina too, right, Paul? It was. Everything about the goal, again, how well-crafted it was. It was a very un-Wolves-like goal, just with the through ball and, and the finish, that we don't typically score goals like that. So to have both of those come together in the manner that they did and to have that particular ending, it was that, that was something special. And that's brought the, the... If they weren't already there, that that's the positive vibes. That's the... That's the neutral watching that game, watching the Wolves potentially for the first time, starting to pick a team and starting to fall in love with the team. That's the type of moments that uh, that creates that bond and we get in those back again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it was interesting. You're talking about getting that love back for the club and we've been saying it now for a couple of weeks. This is like the Wolves from a few years ago that we were just all in love with just really scrappy, never give up guys, a bunch of fun players to root for. And then it was very interesting after the match, how Gary O'Neill said he has tried to model this squad. It like the fans, what they want, Paul. I mean, were you surprised to hear that? And what are your thoughts? I wasn't surprised in a way because I, I think what what he'll be looking at and I think what the the remit that Hobbs will allow now is to craft it very much in, in his image in that he's not necessarily shackled by George Mendes anymore. So that's immediately taken out of it. So if you've not got that constraint of thou must buy these sets of players or they must come from this stable or we must bring these particular guys on through, then that really opens it up. And 
I, I, it may have just been been by luck, but it just feels that maybe Wolverhampton, like as a city, as the fan base, it, it just got a bit repetitive, and that identity did become lost. Especially because we were so fortunate that Nuno got it. Nuno understood the city, he understood the fan base. He put his hand in his own pocket to contribute towards charities in the city. You know, that dude absolutely understood it. That probably got lost through Bruno and Lopetegui. So for O'Neill to probably have a better understanding of, of the makeup and the the infrastructure and everything that goes with it. He could have said in that interview, you know, this is my this is my blueprint. This is how we're going to turn it around. And by chance, it's just that perfect storm of everything coming together that the players are buying into the manager, the fans are buying into the players, the fans are buying into the manager, and they're all feeding off each other. So it could have struck absolutely all gold with it. And speaking of Lopetegui, uh, Gary O'Neill uh, threw some absolute shade. I mean, he might as well just put on the sunglasses. Danny, kind of paraphrase what he said in that press conference about Lopetegui. Where is the longer one? Here we go. Um, this is like my less paraphrased version because someone posted like a two-sentence thing that was <laughs> taking a lot of liberties. But, uh, yeah. said, but if I'm honest, to be... 12, 13 weeks in, we're probably ahead of where I expected us to be. There was a lot of noise around the place from the previous coach about what this might season might look like and how much of a struggle it might be. Some top quality players and experience that left in the summer. We've beaten Man City and Spurs at home, two top teams in the league, very early on in that sort of transition that we're in. So, yeah, probably ahead of the curve where I was expecting us to be. So, at the same He's doing double duty there. He's saying that we're doing better than he would have expected, but also a lot better than Lopetegui seemingly expected. (laughs) So what I gather from that, Alex, is if we're in the locker room at some point early on in the year, he told them, your last manager didn't buy into you, didn't believe in you. I believe in you. And I think that's been the key. It's very clear that the players know he trusts them. And even if they don't get a lot of playing time, when they get in the game, they're gonna they're gonna show and prove his belief in them, right? Yeah, I think so. And that's and that's exactly what anybody coming into that situation should have done. Like there there's just an obvious built-in chip on these guys' shoulders. Um, especially when some of them were specifically brought in by Lopetegui for not a small amount of money. And then he's complaining that he doesn't have players that he wants, you know? So um, I think that's the right thing. I think he's lit a fire under them. And and I think that even in the clip uh, that the Wolves social media distributed afterwards of him talking to them after the game, you could see hints of that. Like he's just constantly reinforcing the belief he has in them. You know, he acknowledged that the attitude is what he wanted. And he always says that he was a really high energy player. Like all he could really do is just run. But then he's also reinforcing, but he can never deliver a performance of that class. Mm-hmm. So he's he is, you know, like any good coach in any sport would do, I think has them believing in themselves. And then on top of that, mixing in some smart tactics too. Again, like I, I think most good managers probably play to their players' strengths, but some of them 
probably have really rigid tactics and how they want to play. And sometimes they have to have those guys fit into that. Like the tactical flexibility is probably really a relief for the players too, because he, he says like, I'm never going to have Dawson like playing, you know, at midfield trying to stay with somebody by like Erling Holland. But when I get him in his area where he's most comfortable, you know, when he was breaking down the city game plan, like those are things those players must appreciate. Like, He's not coming in like, this is my style. He's coming in saying, this is what you're good at. And here's how I'm going to make that work. So it really has just been like a perfect marriage um, since he's gotten in there. And and they kind of embody his attitude in a way. Like he was that type of player, kind of a try hard, I guess you could say, but in a good way. And they have that, but also with some serious class. It's great. And yeah, another I... connection is that he's a he's a coach that, people during this summer didn't necessarily believe in either yeah right yeah it kind of fits in with the whole narrative what does Bournemouth like have to feel like right now Oof. I know they beat Newcastle but <laughs> there's they're just... still in denial oh it's it's brutal and you know shame on us any of us I, I feel like we were pretty positive with it like yeah it's a little shaky you got pull, but you know we weren't full you know, O'Neal out, but this just proves you can't fire, you can't make a judgment after three or four games. Like, you gotta give somebody a chance to get their their system in, and he's done it, and it's wolves of old, and it's super exciting. Guys, I think the next game, maybe the, the quick decision that some people, the reaction decision some people would make is, oh, Sarabia needs to start or something like that. But I almost feel like now we're starting to see, Paul, we have guys that are really meant for that bench role to come off and be, provide a spark. I think Sarabia, uh, Bubakar Traore is one of those guys. Doherty, he's always going to be one of those guys. And I'd even kind of argue that Big Sassy falls in there for like, the last 30 minutes him being more effective than just starting the game what do you feel yeah and i think that's a measure of the squad that's been put together and utilizing their strengths in the best way like the the sashes one's kind of been enforced in that they've had to build up that time gradually but there's there's a definite role for for his his type of uh game you know, if if you're chasing it or you're looking for a winner, it, it it's an it's another dimension and it it brings another challenge to the opponent. And even he had an opportunity that kind of gets overlooked on Saturday where he had a pretty clear header and he put it wide. And yeah. again, that was probably one that he there he had too much time over and he wasn't quite in the right position to to get that header correctly on target. But I think it extends now. And it's not so much about the players on the bench, um, but it's whether whether they can be utilised based on the opponent a little more. That's what I'd probably like to see. That I'm all for like that settled team and trying to bring it out consistently, but they, I'm sure there's going to be occasions where there will be. Um, a game, an opponent that's better for a Pablo Sarabia to start. Now, obviously, the, the setting was perfect for Spurs on Saturday because it wasn't like you were up against an opponent that was 
parking the bus or that he had to use like a ton of pace to burst past like two man markers that he can't do because that's not in his skill set. So can we be cognizant of who we're up against, what the game dynamic is, especially if we've got that flexibility and again, guys coming back off international break and having to travel and manage air miles and all of that can we start being a little creative with that lineup that we start to bring out to to maximize the skill set of those individual players what do you feel danny do you feel like the roles are kind of now defined with some of these guys i think i'm at least learning more about it i assume gary o'neill's well ahead of me (laughs) um but yeah i think that um it's just the the question still weirdly comes back to can we reliably play in a back four and be defensively solid? Because like, that's where we ended up at the end of that game is uh, eight Nori had come off. We basically switched our midfield from Lamina and Gomez to Lamina and Doyle. And now we had a front four ish of Cunha, Huang, Sasha and Sarabia. And it's like, is that really a four two three one, or is it like a four two two two, or is it four two four? Like, I mean, it's all the same thing. Some people would argue, but basically, Sarabia and Cunha having a more free role behind the other two, and and that's what allowed Sarabia to do what he did, which is that the the center backs are too afraid of what a big man like Sasha or an inform uh, clinical uh, striker like Huang is going to do. And so Sarabia gets to ghost into these little spaces. Um, But can I see a situation where we start out like that, where we set up like that to begin with? I mean, maybe, (laughs) but I haven't, I haven't yet seen a performance with a back four where we have looked like we could control a game um, with that, with that setup. I'd love to see it because it was exciting to watch for those last 10 minutes, but uh I'm I'm not sure we're there yet. Alex, how fun is it that now we can look to the bench and specifically target a player and be like, Bubakar can come in and help us play this game out when we've got this lead. Or we're down a goal. Now we have Kalajic and we have Sarabia now can come in for some of these guys that are gassed. Like, that's cool to not only see some good depth on the bench, but actually be able to point to them and say, this is the impact they can make. Yeah. I, I think that's really good. And when you talk about some of the names that you're mentioning um, of that, that do have a specific role to play, you know, a lot of them were purchased for very low transfer fees, which I think is really important, right? Because if wolves are going to be self-sustaining and they're, you know, not going to find themselves in FFP trouble, like they are, I guess, maybe st- arguably still currently in, uh, but certainly we're in um, this past summer. Yeah, we're all shrugging. Um, I, I mean, let's, let's just like say, that. even if we are, fucking Everton's over here spending God knows how much money, and they're like, eh, whatever. So, oh, I'm sorry, we're half a million dollars over if we are. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, agreed. But um, yeah, you can kind of like predict uh, in a way like what's going to happen based on what you're observing in the game. Like you can pretty much assume that uh if if they're gonna need to be a little bit more um you know on the front foot in the midfield that at some point Doyle's probably gonna come in. Um you could assume that you know 
uh, Sasha's going to come in and be a target man. They're probably going to move Cunha around if one of our wingers gets gassed. Or and now that we don't really have a second winger, uh, with Belgard, you know, has to come out of the game or really isn't offering that much. I'm not saying that was the case. So you can, yeah, it's it's nice to know that, um, and it's nice to have options. Um, the only thing that arguably they don't really have an option for is if the worst were to happen to one of our three center backs. Like I understand they bought Santi Bueno. He wasn't that inspiring uh, when he came on and, and got a start in the, uh, in the Carabao cup and a really disappointing loss. I also just think like, even if he's a good center back, like he's just going to be really, really different than Kilman or Toady. And um, I think that they're in pretty important. Like kill. I mean, Kilman has these diagonal long passes many times throughout the game um, where he's basically on the right side of the defense. And it's just like, I need to get this ball to eight Nori or someone on that left side because no one else is going to get the ball forward. And then Toady has one or two times a game where he just comes marauding up the field and like, <laughs> they don't have other guys who can do that. And if they ever have to get pulled out of that back three, because they, you know, not because they want to, but because they need to, I, I am fearful of what, of, of what would happen then. Um, so more depth needed, but it generally, to your point, I think the bench options right now are, are really satisfactory and, and even more so once Neto is back, whenever that may be, um, because then you're looking at maybe Belgard being a fourth or fifth option as an attacking player. Um, and he's still pretty promising. When you look at what we were starting last year at this time compared to now, and what our depth was. I remember the start of last year. I was like, oh, I don't know. We're not even going to be able to take advantage of the five sub rule. Because we don't even have five guys. On the and then Den Donker came in. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> so it's just a very different squad. Uh, man of the match. Are we all in agreement? It's Lamina. Does anybody have one that maybe no? Paul? No. 10 out of 10 for me. Like That is center midfield performance personified. Yeah, I'll give an honorable mention to Dawson, not just for marking some out of the game, but uh, I think Alex mentioned it, uh, that one attack that Kulosevsky turned him around on. I want to say that for a man of his age and also of his general profile as a center back, that he even stayed on his feet and was able to be in the way of the the second attempt uh, is honestly a physical feat on par with Sarabia's finish. <laughs> yes. The fact that he wasn't <laughs> on his ass from that is was surprising to me at the moment. Yeah. I, I want to be clear. I wasn't trying to insult him, even <laughs> though I said he slowly got twisted into a pretzel. Yeah. But <laughs> I he still kind of saved the day. I agree. That's it. I'm I'm glad you cleared that up. <laughs> Well, guys, just a fun game all around, and it's good to have those positive vibes, especially after such a disappointing loss that that Sheffield one was. I mean, this was a ton of fun. Hey, everyone, Alex here. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on Whole Lot of Wolves and you haven't done so already, please leave a review on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you use to listen to the show. It helps grow the audience and the show's visibility, which we greatly appreciate, and in turn enables us to do even more to deliver a better product to you each week. So thanks for listening, rating, and reviewing. Now back to the show.
No Stupid Questions is presented by Esfuerzo Wines. Located just north of Santa Barbara, California, Esfuerzo Wines showcases passion and three generations of winemaking in every bottle. So whether you're celebrating a Wolves victory or winding down after a day at work, let Esfuerzo Wines transport you to the heart of California's wine country with every sip. For a limited time, head to EsfuerzoWines.com and use the promo code WOLVES for a 15% discount on your wine purchases. This message is intended for those of legal drinking age. Do not drink and drive. Excessive alcohol consumption may be harmful to your health. If you or someone you know is struggling with alcohol abuse, please seek help. Esfuerzo Wines reminds you to enjoy their products responsibly and in moderation. All right, Alex, we have some very good No Stupid Questions this week. Yes, uh, our uh, our listeners are about as informed as the team is right now, um, bringing in the questions in. These questions are No Stupid Questions, of course, brought to you by Esfuerzo Wines, showcasing three generations of winemaking in every bottle. For a limited time, you can head to esfuerzowines.com, E-S-F-U-E-R-Z-O wines.com. Use the promo code WOLVES and you'll receive a 15% discount on your order uh, like I did. Tonight, I'm drinking the uh, 2020 Grenache, um, which uh, my partner suggested that we uh, have with a little bit of a chill, which is a great suggestion by her. So uh, enjoying it quite a bit. All right. Uh, this is a great question to kick things off uh, from Drew in Pittsburgh, who emailed us hello at wolves.com is our email address. And he writes in, Wolves lose Ruben, Nevis, uh, and got a bunch of Saudi money for him, more than any Premier League team would pay, and were able to get out of FFP trouble and play Nunes in his more natural position. Wolves lose, Wolves lose Nunes. Gained Doyle, Belgard, and a villain to root against when playing City, a critical win that really galvanized this team. Don't forget, uh, Nunes was uh, taken off at a half. Uh, <laughs> Wolves lose Lopetegui. Gained Gary O'Neill, an identity goal scored, have become one of the most watchable teams in the league, and they seem to have rallied around each other after they were unceremoniously rejected by Eulin. So the question is, what has been the most important loss in this past year? Such a good question. Paul, I'll let you start that because it's such a good question. It is. It, I think the the beauty of this question is you can point to each one and really put a strong argument for for all three. Mm-hmm. But I think the butterfly effect of Lopetegui going and O'Neill just stands out at the moment. But it is with a nod to say that I think the um, you know, that there's a distinct point to be made about, you know, did the did the loss of Nunes influence it as well? And was that was that even known? And it's like thankful that his departure in influenced the squad. And would we even be in that position now? Because the players that we've got, if Nunes was still here as well, would would we you know, would we have those two players even available for us? Like, who knows? But that's why it is such a such a good question. I think, yeah. I I also think though that the Nunes loss was a good one because of the fact, you know, Doyle and Bellegarde and a villain to root for, those are all good things. Um but I think that Nunez's attitude was always he's too good for Wolves. And that would be a negative effect to a young team like this. I mean, you got guys like Jao Gomez who turned down a bigger squad 
to come here. Uh, you know, Cunha always seems really excited. You seem like you have guys that are buying into the fact that, okay, it's not the biggest club, but I'm here. I'm going to bust my butt and everything. And for Nunes, it was just kind of like, I'm here so I don't get fined. And until, you know, one of these big clubs buy me because Pep thinks I'm the greatest midfielder in the history of time. Um, so I, I do agree that gaining Gary O'Neill and losing Lopetegui was the most influential one, influential one. But losing Nunes was an addition by subtraction for sure. That being said, you know, I mean, yes, Nunes gained us uh, in the question. It says Doyle and Bellegarde and, and Bellegarde certainly for the money, but also allegedly, you know, we got a special deal on Santi Bueno, which I, I know he didn't look great in the Ipswich game, but nobody did. Yeah. Um, but here's a sort of supplement to the question uh, that I just thought of, which is that if Lopetegui was not out the door already, does Nunes go? I mean, I know that like City would have come in and Nunes probably would have gone. But given that Lopetegui was probably a big fan of, of Mateus Nunes, does he convince him to stay? And how does that change things? Um, and that that's a, a, a question I definitely don't have the answer to. And that's like, that's sort of what Paul was saying, the, the sort of like butterfly effect mm-hmm. of, of Lopetegui going. I think the of the three options that were available to us, we can say that the least necessary loss was Ruben Neves apart from just evolving the squad and it's always you know sometimes it's time to move on it and the FFP thing but but in terms of like where we are now if we could ignore FFP and we could keep everything exactly the same except Ruben Neves is here I think we can say that one sounds fine to me the other two if you could keep everything the same but Nunez is still here or Lopetegui is still here I'm not sure I feel as good yeah by the way, I love on Twitter now how you see some of these Man City fans who are like, Nunes sucks. Wolves really screwed us over. I even saw some that were like, we need the the, the, the Nunes that was at Wolves. And all the Wolves fans that get in there go, he was shit for you us. <laughs> you got exactly you got that. Nunes. <laughs> Buyer's yeah. remorse, baby. <laughs> I, I'm... Uh... To Danny's point, like if if Lopetegui never leaves, like Nunes probably wouldn't either. So it's almost like he, it's hard to separate one loss from the other. I'm still so unconvinced that that Wolves would have had the resources, even if they kept Lopetegui and Nunes, to be able to use Nunes in however he's supposed to be used. Which I still think, yeah, the team yeah. with the most resources in the world and arguably the best manager in the world doesn't really know how to do that either. So. Maybe they're just maybe you know there is a chance that he's just not cut out for the Premier League. Like it doesn't you know we say that about a lot of other guys, and usually they're like slight wingers who just get pushed around, and he's certainly not one of those. But where is his skill set really going to blossom if it, if not at Manchester City? You know, like it just might not it just might not be in and, the cards for him. <laughs> and he might be the very definition of a. A luxury signing you know i mean and for a team that can afford lots of luxuries you know maybe city is a great fit for him because he can come on exactly uh when they need that exact thing but he's not young anymore i mean that's always been the weird thing about mateus nunez who you know it, as a footballer i'm still a big fan of he's he can do some amazing things but like he's he's i think 27 now 26 27 
And he started quite late. Like he started playing professional football quite late. And I don't know that he's going to develop much more than he currently is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so can, can a team like wolves, especially afford even ignoring the actual money part, can we afford to have a spot taken up by a person who has to be played in such a specific way when, I mean, everything that we've, done this season that has been good has been about flexibility Absolutely. you know mm-hmm. Cunha being able to move around Sarabia being put in different positions uh, Sasha being able to drop deep you know all, all these things being able to switch between a three and a four can we do that when you know you if you start Nunez if you move him anywhere else he's ineffective for us I, I argue that a team like us cannot afford that kind of player right now yeah and good skills the- don't always necessarily make a good football player. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I, the only thing that gives me pause though, as you were saying that is that I think we, we did never really get to see him in like the, this version of wolves, which kind of resembles the new, no version of wolves, which a back three wing backs, you mm-hmm. know, kind of a counter attacking style. That was what he was really good at at sporting. <laughs> like, right. Uh, That's y- true. You know, so I could, I guess I could envision a scenario where if he were playing on Gary O'Neill's Wolves, where Dribble FC would not only have Cunha, Belgard, Neto <laughs> running at everybody, but then Nunes would be another guy carrying the ball up the field with, you know, people bombing left and right next to him. But um, yeah, it's just, again, uh, it's addition by subtraction all around because he just wasn't bought in. Um, all right. You could also uh, tweet in your no stupid questions to us as uh, two members of the DeWitt household have. We've got a double header from the DeWitts. Uh, <laughs> at WLWPod is the show Twitter handle uh, where first Michelle uh, wrote in uh, asking, which current Wolves player would you like to travel to see play on international duty and why? International break ongoing. Um who who do you think is most worth a, a little ticket overseas to to see play for their national team? It's probably the only time that I would wear. Uh, obviously, if England weren't playing, it's the only other time I'd wear another nationality's jersey. But mine would have to be Brazil to go and see Cunha at the Maracana or something like that. That's just football personified. Copacabana, you know. Oh yeah, all of that stuff. Yeah. Danny, Cunha is a good answer because he's just seems like a fun person to be around. I'm I'm quickly googling like where are they going in this international window. <laughs> so I, I'm gonna take some liberties and assume also that this player is uh, you know helping me uh, fund this trip uh, to go <laughs> with them. I think I think first of all, I think Toadie's kind of chill vibes I can very much get on with. Um, Also, it is very uh, underappreciated, I feel like, how Tony has just, you know, very quickly become a mainstay, not just in our squad, but in the Portugal squad. He hasn't getting minutes yet. But, like, to come from Grasshoppers, like, literally a team that most people wouldn't know exists, (laughs) <laughs> and to come in and be like an indispensable part of Wolves and now making every Portugal squad, that's kind of a story that uh, I'm surprised hasn't been talked about more. Maybe in Portugal it is. Anyway, uh, they're playing in Liechtenstein this this uh, this break. So I think I could I could envision hanging out with Toadie in the Alps or something. <laughs> I'd, tra- I'd travel with Huang. 
Uh, I, to me, after talking to Russell Jones, um, you know, it really brings into, uh, into light. You never get to see him though. He's a superstar. Yeah, he is a superstar. And that's one of the reasons why (laughs) I want to go is because that, and the fact that Russell Jones said as compared to son, he's more of like the edgier, like super popular trendy type of guy. So I think it would be a very unique experience going there because yeah, you're talking about one of the top two players on the squad um, in a very loyal fan base. So I think that would be fun. And the Korean food's good. Korean food is yeah. top notch. Yeah. Yeah. That's been part of the discussion on the whole lot of wolves group chat is the, the high level of uh, Korean food. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I get homemade Korean food, baby. <laughs> Envious. Um Jealous, yeah. Yeah, those are great answers. Uh would anyone want to see Austria versus Germany? Decent game, I guess. Uh <laughs> is Sasha gonna play? Probably not. I mean, that's hard to beat Brazil. But and he'd Korea. be fun to hang out with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um he would be. He'd be he'd be a really gracious host, I think, for anyone who, who travels to uh, to see him. Um, okay, and then the other question, uh, speaking of food, uh, from the DeWitt household, Todd, which Wolves player is probably the best cook? Which one is the worst? I mean... I'm going to say sneaky good best cook is Craig Dawson. Really? I, I, I want to just... say the opposite. I think <laughs> like he's got... <laughs> he, like, he does beans on toast and that's it. <laughs> He's you you think like, he's got like the divorced man. dad cooking vibes? He's got like <laughs> three three dishes like really plain and, and that's it. Oh no, man. I got I just got a feeling he's got some sneakiness up his uh, something tells me he makes a top-notch breakfast for sure. Like that dude can make some pancakes and some eggs. And I think, you know, he invites a pretty lady over and can whip up some kind of fancy chicken. Um, I don't even know. I'm sure he's married. So for his wife, <laughs> some fancy chicken, some nice hand tossed Caesar salad. That's my sneaky, sneaky choice for best. What about worst? Who worst? It's got to be <laughs> y- one of the young guys, right? I bet you Jao Gomez. Something tells me Jao Gomez has never cooked a meal in his life. <laughs> I think I, I think he know. is I definitely. Mean... Uh, you know, he's a young dude. I can see that his parents, like, his mom's probably a top-notch cook, and then when he's moved out here, he's probably like, hey, Cunha, what you having today? <laughs> what do you think, Danny? Yeah, I am I might steal your answer from the previous question and say, Huang, I, fe- mm-hmm. I saw a video. This is a fun thing, although, to be honest, the level of fandom, uh, you know, for for Huang in general uh, makes this difficult to go back and find anything because obviously I don't uh, I don't read uh, Korean very well by which I mean at all but if you if you search on YouTube using his name in in Korean characters you know you find all these other videos that you'd never normally find and there was one that popped up at some point as a suggested video that I watched I meant to send it to you Paul just because it is literally just following him around and he's like, he goes to this little market and he buys produce or whatever, says thank you, blah, blah, blah. He goes outside, 
there's people outside they like ask him for a picture they're obviously locals in wolverhampton and he goes home and it's like you know you see him like carting in all this like fresh produce and everything else into his house i know that he lives with his mom so it's probably cheating to say huang and then expect his mom his to mo- let me tell you um, what yeah because i was gonna say <laughs> korean women are more known as the 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 cookers yeah. there um but that doesn't but mean also, he doesn't have skills yeah yeah that's right and so i think like he's a decent choice uh and also, like, Korean snack food is elite also. Um, so if we're just including the things he could feed me if I go to his house, then I, I think that he's on that. I did think about Sasha because he had a lot of time to learn to cook over the past year. But <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of Germanic cultures, but uh, there, I can't think of something. I mean, if he's going to make me some spetzel, I'm, I'm interested in that. But... <laughs> But for the most part, I'm not like getting excited about it. Whereas if if Wayne could make me even like a bare basic like you know Korean like barbecue with some like gochujang um, marinade, then I'm in fully in. I've got uh, mine. You you are all sleeping on this guy. You are all sleeping on him. <laughs> it's the man of the moment. It's Pablo Sarabia. Oh yeah. Like Spanish, oh. Mediterranean diet, olive oil, paella. You know, he's got the creativity. I could just see him in that, you know, that apron and just that touch of finesse with that dish. Just, he, he just looks like he'd be a good, good cook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, you guys didn't believe... say your worst, though. I'm still going with Dawson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He could burn toast. Also, he's just been a footballer for so long, you know. It's just he's he's probably not got a lot of time for it. I got you. I believe in you, Craig. I <laughs> believe in you. <laughs> Honorable mention for worst from me, um, Matt Dougherty. Like, do we oh. see him cooking? What is Irish cuisine? I'm I sure guess. he pours a mean Guinness. Like, but uh, you know, I don't know. Um, we got all these Spaniards and Portuguese and South Americans on the team. That's hard. I will say whoever is the best cook is not going to look as good as Gary O'Neill, uh, outback grilling shirtless doing it. So (laughs) I know, I know the question was specifically about players, but, uh, if we're having a wolves cookout, I, I, I'm having O'Neill man the grill, um, for obvious reasons. Um, okay, continuing with the no stupid questions, uh, Chase Branch on X uh, says that the uh, with the points being the same, I think we all take the fun wins versus the big six instead of wins against Sheffield and Luton. But if we can play with the big boys, how do we avoid trap games, which the next Premier League fixture may very well be a trap game in itself. What do you guys think? How do we channel the the city and Spurs energy for a, a game off of an international break against a lowly Fulham squad. I don't think Fulham will be a trap game because of Raul. Um, Who scored said, by the way. This yeah. Weekend. That said, I think Raul's going to be really pumped for that game. So you got to watch for that anyways. I, but I feel like this is the age old question though, since I've started following wolves, they had a better record against the top teams than the bottom. <laughs> I, I don't know. I had a loss. 
it is oh, the, I do think it's... The, Go ahead. The, the Fulham game coming up just gives you... Not now, certainly gives you more confidence that you're going to have... Um, Maybe someone who's a little more diligent in looking at the opponent more thoroughly, where I think previously it was like, I'm pretty sure Nuno's mantra was like, this is how we're going to play. I don't really care about the opponent. You know, we're going to soak up the pressure and hit him on the back, hit him on the break. So if O'Neill's been more more technical, um, it seems like he's the type of guy that, gets in the weeds with stuff like this and the extended break actually where I used to be fearful of it may even do us more favors now because he's got that extra time on the on the training ground and can look at it in a little bit more depth but it it is it has always been a very very wolvesy Achilles heel that we could never really dominate against these lesser teams yeah, I don't know. Danny, you got any solutions? I mean, I naturally think about, like, how much of this is just confirmation bias. I'd love to, like, look around at the stats from the other, like, mid-table teams and see how frequently they, like, seem to turn up against big opponents and then don't turn up against lower opponents. Um, mm-hmm. It does seem like a uniquely Wolves problem. Um, <laughs> but But it's weird because it's, like, I think that we've always, ever since we got promoted, we've had so much like international quality in the squad that turning up against a big opponent sometimes could actually mean getting a result. Whereas I think like there, there are a lot of mid table teams that like, can turn it on against a big opponent, but not necessarily have the quality to back it up. And then, yeah, I think like Paul said, I think previous managers, not just Nuno have sort of, I mean, I don't want to say they completely underestimated the lower teams, but they maybe lacked a plan for what to do. I mean, we saw that um, last year against against Bournemouth, uh, and and even after Lopetegui came in, there were games. And well, I mean, Bournemouth was one of them, I guess. Um, but you know, just like where, just like there wasn't a plan about how to deal with this situation. And now we see that, like, a plan can be made. We might not execute it. Like, we we had the whole gamut of results. We, we won against Bournemouth. We drew against Luton, fairly or not. Uh, and we lost to Sheffield. But uh, a plan can be made. And we may or may not be able to execute it. <laughs> but, but it does make me look back at those previous managers uh, with a bit more skepticism that they, they never seem to fully I, either respect the opponent or come up with a a creative solution. Well, and I think a lot of those opponents, they're going into the game going, we're cool with one point. So they're going to park the bus a lot more than some of these top teams, which play more open, play with those higher lines. And so that helps these counterattacking teams like us. Um, Whereas because we don't necessarily have that top notch, number nine clinical finisher, it's a little bit harder to break that defensive mentality. Yeah. I I agree with everything that you have all said, but I would also just simply nominate this as an answer to the question in that unlike other sports like the NFL or the NBA, like the worst team in the premier league is still closer to the best team. Like, Mm. 
Spurs had to pull what Wolves just did to them to beat Sheffield United at home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we're, so to Danny's point, like it might just be confirmation bias. Like if we look around the league and really, you know, start putting a magnifying glass on everybody's results. There's a lot of teams that probably feel like they should be kicking the crap out of Luton or Sheffield or Fulham that that don't end up doing that or end up escaping. And Wolves this season would have escaped if not for VAR. Like the weird thing about our VAR controversies is they came against crap teams, not the big six teams that usually get the calls. Like it's not a badge check when Luton gets a penalty. That's not a penalty, right? Uh, mm-hmm. you know, like against wolves. So that that's kind of a weird part of it. And Ipswich, I get it rotated squad. Like we're not big enough to do that in the cup. Like we don't have that type of depth, but otherwise, like where is that performance? Like it'd be great to go out and win four nil, but like I don't think there would be a bad loss this season if not for you know the two VAR calls against well Luton wasn't even a loss, but against Luton and uh Sheffield. Um mm-hmm. so same old wolves, but also maybe not. I don't know. It's just <laughs> it's just too it's just too difficult a league, man. It's insane. Um that being said, wolves wolves are competing in it and going for top half. That's all the uh no stupid questions. Um actually if we if if we may, we could do one more mm-hmm. uh, to do, wrap it up. Because I did research for this one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to wrap it up, uh Brian Donnelly, great friend of show, and of course uh a founding member of Charlotte Wolves, tweets in where do you think this team would be if they had not signed Lamina? And what were your initial expectations of him? I think it's fair we wrap the show on Lamina because this really was his week. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that question, Brian. I know What's going in, I was I was kind of hopeful, but at the same time, I had heard a lot of the prima donna stuff when he was at Southampton because it sounded for a while when Nuno was here, like he was coming here. Um, but I thought at the time, you know, he's the type of player that we kind of need just somebody a little tough. Um, he's definitely exceeded my expectations. And yeah, I don't know where we'd be right now because he is he is the anchor of that midfield. And thank goodness he has not gotten a yellow the last couple games. Otherwise, he would not have been in that game. Yeah. I was freely expecting, you know, that squad player, maybe rotation, some good versatility in the middle of the part to, to bring on. I, I, I never really expected that the void of Ruben Neves could be filled by him and Joe Gomez, that they look such a compliment, you know, at times that they they look like they could be that centre midfield pairing for years to come, which is the only sad part of this is Lamina's age, really. But I think expectations like initially, I think mine were pretty pretty low and it was that Liverpool game that he came on I think maybe it must have been his debut I think but he came, he on, came in... on against West Ham in the previous game right but that Liverpool game he, he came on he really put his stamp on it and helped yeah. close it out and and we got the win off it and from that point onwards it's like okay we've got a player here and it just generally seems that he's got that just that all-round game that's perfectly suited to the league and the way we set up at the moment. 
It's funny. I feel like I'm almost perfectly suited to this question because I uh, I have two good friends who follow the Premier League that I've known for many years now. One of them is a Southampton fan. The other is a, a Fulham fan. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, like, I feel like I've been aware of Mario Lamina for a long time. I, you know, I, I didn't really see him as like a prima donna in, in either place, but I did see him as a person who made a lot of rash choices on the field, uh, usually that resulted in bookings. And I didn't think of it as like a clever defensive midfielder, you know, just, you know, doing what he had to do to, to keep the back line safe. Um, so that was the extent of my own personal knowledge. But it's funny when this question popped up, uh, I went back into my text with my good friend, Edgar, who, uh, who I follow wolves with, uh, went back to January when I'm constantly texting with him about, the the transfer business which by the way if you have someone you texted with about the transfer window i recommend going back and looking at that thread because it was wild also just going through the whole jean gomez saga in real time while <laughs> going through sex was really fun uh anyway so i actually have like what my thoughts were at the time and i said uh i feel like a lot of these 30 ish uh year old targets so obviously dawson was part of that um and even though he came previously, you know, Diego Costa maybe too, are kind of stopgap. And the purpose is to like give us depth. Um, and then the ones who stay past the summer are sort of a bridge to the next crop of young, like Zhao Gomez, Ryan Nori types. Um, and I just thought of him as like kind of that, like more of a backup to what we had. Like, like okay, he's not going to have the passing of Ruben Neves, but he's going to be a, a slightly better DM and he's going to help us get out of like, tough games in that way or soak up some yellow cards or, or whatever. Um, and then um, I shared a, a tweet with him that someone put together some stats on it and said, mini breakdown, excellent volume passer with high ball retention skills, prolific ball winner, won't offer much in attack. Essentially, he'll reliably win the ball back and recycle possession. He's very good at what he does. Good business. Um, and it's funny to look back on that and say, yeah, that was pretty much spot on and, and maybe even a little bit more uh, in what he can do because he can help us get up the field a little bit just in terms of knowing who to lay it off to. Um, and I think the thing I was most impressed by at the time that gave me hope, and now I very much see it, was the idea that he had solidly put up, he, he had put up solid defensive midfielder numbers the whole, like for the last like five clubs that he was at, including both Southampton and and Fulham. And it just like maybe had not worked out due to his own vibes at the time. You know, he was a younger, less responsible person. And also what was going on at those clubs at the time. You know, I mean, like when he was with Fulham, the last time they were up, Fulham was kind of a mess, as my friend <laughs> Timmy will tell you. Um and so it's funny that we judged him on that, the sort of this past of like, oh, he's this rash player is going to get a bunch of bookings and he's going to be kind of a dickhead. But it's like, well, also sometimes you're just in a dysfunctional team. I mean, like you could say the same thing about some Wolves players where it just kind of didn't work out for them because we were not firing the right way. <laughs> Newness. Yeah, exactly. Well, you can say that. By the way, I, I really feel like Mario Lamina wrote his own Wikipedia 
And here's why. <laughs> Under style of play, it says a strong, powerful, hardworking, and dynamic right-footed midfielder with good technical skills and solid distribution. Lamina is a box-to-box player who's usually de- deployed in the center. And then they described as a classy, quote, classy and tenacious midfielder, end quote. Bravo, <laughs> sir. That's that's some good words yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah. And also, he fuck was... George Mendez for saying, oh, Lamina, I didn't even think he'd want to come to Wolverhampton, so I was telling him not to do that. No. I actually think Lamina's here for the long haul. That dude, is re- he really gets into it with the fans after games. So, um, all around good addition. Yeah. Um, and good question. Thank you, Brian, for the question. And thank you, everyone, for the No Stupid Questions this week. Uh, and again, No Stupid Questions brought to you by Esfuerzo Wines. Don't forget to uh, use promo code WOLVES to get uh, 15% off of your order. So it's international break. So it brings this week's episode to a close. So we will be back a little later next week to preview that trip to Fulham after the break, which will be on a Monday. That is November the 27th. So in the meantime, we can have that extended break, looking at the league table, feeling all positively and saying to everyone that we meet, up the mighty 